piss off, is what Sean's gnome would say. But that's not how we introduce shows around here, Sean's gnome. How's it going, everybody? This is Levon and Sean coming at you from Triple Triple Up Politics. Um, Sean, by the way, how is your gnome doing? Is it being effective and as, as effective as the vaccines? You know what's amazing is the, the individual who attempted to steal my gnome has been moving out all week. So no more gnome thief. I think the new gnome did its job. Very effective. Very effective. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, it's doing its, uh, doing its magic. The gnome magic of saying, just piss off right out of here. Won't you? <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. So a lot of things happening this week. Uh, we have a God. So I saw today that, uh, Juneteenth has been, it was voted on the Senate um, as a federal holiday today. And 70% of people in King County, Washington, where we're located at, our headquarters here, have been fully vaccinated. Cool. Well, how has the week been for you, Sean? How is everything going? How is everything feeling? Hey, the week's been pretty good. I mean, so far at least, right? Uh, It's only Tuesday, but uh, got to go to a youth soccer practice today that was exciting yeah sounds exciting yeah and i'm i'm excited for friday because my place of employment already recognizes juneteenth so i get a a day off um on friday to yep to recognize the holiday on saturday which will be pretty cool i think gonna take a little ferry ride on friday with the girls and then uh saturday will probably uh go out to the march that happens in seattle for juneteenth good stuff good stuff well i'm feeling good myself because uh uh <laughs> steven uh, sent sent me a, a an article stating that joe biden administration will uh has claimed uh fourth of july to be independence from the virus and i i think i'm pretty sure i nailed that like a hundred percent exactly how they would how they would uh, have the celebration be in, in the theme of it i'm, I'm pretty sure you are right pretty sp- on you you nailed it <laughs> you know i gotta come out here you know and and just say yeah that's that was a hell of a prediction i read it like a book you know and uh <laughs> here we go with another one so i i think that uh joe biden when he comes out and makes his speech on fourth of july which i'm pretty sure he will he'll come out wearing a mask and he's gonna take off the mask and mic drop it like obama did with the mic and then there's going to be a bald eagle flying by you know, <laughs> and fireworks all in the background, the band playing. Da, 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 da. Wow. <laughs> I'm saying wow. that, I'm calling you, that one. You really did. You know, you, you, you had the ball, you were open field headed right for the end zone, claiming victory with the, uh, with the one prediction. And then you just fumbled it out the back of the end zone, right at the one yard line. Fourth of July has not happened yet. That's my prediction. Is you just you just chucked it through the back of the end zone from the one. Okay, what which one was is more, more likely likely in that situation? I think it's the mic dropping the uh, the mask. I, I just no, I I do not see Joe Biden, cool Joe, mic dropping his mask. However, the that the presidential be- theme song or whatever we call that, yeah. uh, pompous ass. Pump, Pomp and yeah, circumstance, yeah, whatever, yeah. Uh, whatever yeah. it might be. That that's probably the best of your predictions there. Yes, and fireworks going off in the yes. background. Yeah, I'll give you that <laughs> one too. 
Horrible. Horrible. Uh, Way too cocky. Way too cocky, but, you know... What isn't cocky are the uh, the vaccine efficacy uh, efficacy of the vaccines. So I th- you know there is a little bit of a cloud behind behind the celebrations with these new strains and stuff like that coming around. Um, but time and time again, the, our vaccines have Pfizer and Moderna. I think even Johnson and Johnson have been just holding up holding up very well against new. Uh, strains that that come out and it seems like from what i've read i'm not a disease expert from what i've read though that it sounds like they could be effective for a while and so and that's that's what i like to say you know a message i think to the more to the left i think is that we got to keep propping that up and saying these are effective don't look at the breakthrough cases i know they're breakthrough cases and they are important but don't keep looking at that as a as a cause to as alarm all the time you know, and I think that pushes people into vaccine hesitancy. And I think that kind of drives that a little bit is this this constant alarm like, oh, so-and-so got infected after they were vaccinated. And that happens on the right as well, like to point that out. But I think on the left, they really it's it's like this alarm, like we're always in this constant state of uh, of crisis. And uh, it is important to to recognize, though, that people who aren't vaccinated, especially children, are more susceptible, of course, to being very sick from these new strains. Uh, but I'm speaking more in terms with just, you know, with the vaccine and everything is that we got to keep saying, you know, these are effective time and time again, they've proven their efficacy against even these new strains that they thought were going to escape the vaccine uh, protection, but they largely haven't. They just, it just hasn't. Our bodies, our, our natural immune system has uh, uh been kicked into gear with these with the mnra and everything so um and i think that's also important to recognize vaccine hesitancy isn't just on the right it is on the left it is is independence as well and so i think that's important to recognize as well so we're not uh, constantly in our corners uh, bickering at each other about that stuff so it's important to uh, have a um, holistic view on that as well those are my opening thoughts for today yeah no i <laughs> I think you're you're right about the efficacy of the vaccines. We're we're definitely seeing uh, great success, and I think that we should all continue uh, to be vigilant, but recognize that the vaccines are are working and doing their job. I, I think one of the reasons that the vaccine is likely so effective, um, even with new variants, is that we're we're vaccinating really early uh, in the disease cycle, and and even though a virus can mutate quickly, uh, we are still uh, intervening really early against this particular virus. And so uh, although the mutations are happening, uh, they're probably not widely variant from the original uh, strain that we actually created the vaccine off of. So the protein spike is probably not changing dramatically, which is what the mRNA is built off of. Uh, and, And so I think we're going to continue to see those be really effective, at least in the short term, the problem I continue to see is if we're not vaccinating uh, the rest of the world, especially uh, countries and areas where um, folks are, are poor uh, and don't have as much access to health care, then we're going to allow this virus to continue to mutate and get further and further and further away from that original variant. And that's when the vaccines are going to become less and less effective. Uh, and so I think I think that we uh, as a nation and, you know, I, I appreciate that at the G7, they're having these conversations, uh, and 
and pushing out a billion doses, it's not enough, uh, but it's a start. Uh, we need to continue to do that if we're going to get ahead of this. And, and I think that we have an opportunity to actually eliminate a virus uh, before it gets the opportunity to mutate and spread wildly uh, if we continue this effort because of how early we're doing this work. Never in the history of mankind have we had the ability uh, to intervene on a virus as quickly as we are uh, with with COVID. And, and I think that's really the key. We just, we need to make it happen around the globe. Yes, absolutely. And yes, that is absolutely a reality that, that and that's why boosters are in clinical trials right now, uh, just for that precaution, of course. And, and it is a reality that it may be a few generate, you know, a few years that uh, boosters may have to be uh, built upon or, you know, tweaked and whatnot and everything it, just as precaution in case that there is a, a, a variant that completely escapes the, the um, our existing vaccine structure and everything. So that's that's good news there. I think as well as is the uh, is that there's boosters in in trial and everything. And I think that what I've seen is that by the end of 2022 is that they is that we're uh, as a world they hope we're at 70. Uh, percent uh, I think that was the uh, I forgot who was. Help me out here, Sean. Who was that? <laughs> remember what? It might have been the UN. Yeah, I don't. I hadn't heard I, that. But... I don't remember. Yeah, I, th- I think that that's what I've seen. Um, is that that's the goal? Is by twenty twenty two to have seventy percent. Uh, we'll see. And that kind of brings up also another issue that COVID has brought up is that any threat overseas like this is a threat to the United States as well, and shows the interconnectedness of the world yet again. Yeah, the world's such a small place. Uh, I mean, realistically, when when you can get around the world today, right? Like, uh, it doesn't take 24 hours to get anywhere in the globe anymore. We have to realize that we are a global community. And if we're not taking care uh, of the world, then we're not taking care of ourselves, especially when it comes to, to health issues. Um, it It's just a world that's going to impact us. And uh, until we get the concept that the healthier we all, the healthier any of us are, um, the healthiest all of us are. And we just, we have to start focusing on, on some of those issues. And and I just don't, I don't see our culture in a place where we really believe in the betterment of each other. Uh, There's still rugged individualism uh, even around this issue. And, And we really have to start to look at, uh, and in some situations, I, I'm great with rugged individualism, but with public health, education, those kinds of issues, we have to recognize that I do better uh, the healthier you are as an individual. And it therefore benefits me if we are in healthcare together across the globe. This isn't even just a, like a, a regional or a national issue, right? Like this is truly a global issue that we have to start thinking about uh, on a global scale. And we can't even do it at, at a national scale as Americans. So how the fuck we get to the point where we're looking at it from uh, a global perspective, that seems way off, but we got to get there. No other choice. No other choice. Yeah. Kind of like climate, right? Like climate is not a national issue. This is a global issue as well. And we got to start getting... Uh, our asses in gear or else my kids uh, are going to watch uh, the world burn. And, and I would really prefer for them not to have to watch that. And what's sad is that's could be us as well, since it 
things are rapidly heating up. Yeah, all right. Well, uh, so let's uh, get more into the pressing issues of today, Sean, and more of the uh, the topics that we'll be speaking about mostly today. So why don't we go ahead and get into that, get, get our hands dirty, get into that. Yeah, let's get into a little policy uh, and what's happening around uh, Capitol Hill and all that good stuff, right? So, you know, I, I think uh, the first thing that I'll call out is, you know, one of one of the largest bipartisan spending bills in the history of this country uh, was passed recently. Uh, and I, you know, I think in the midst of everything going on with how polarized we are, that's a really good place for us to start is to recognize that there are issues um, that we are getting through uh, a 50-50 Senate um, by I'm not sure if it was unanimous, but it was uh, at least over the 60 vote threshold. Uh, and I, I think that's really meaningful. So uh, the bill was largely focused around uh, technology and U.S. government funds or federal funds going to uh, support industries that will make us the the forerunner in the creation of uh, transistor computer chips. Uh, I think the everything that's gone on during COVID uh, the the mass kind of rush to technology uh, has really brought out the fact that we are overly reliant on China, especially, uh, and other Asian countries, but in particular China. And I think as we move into kind of this this new Cold War with China, they they definitely are seeing a world where we have to uh, be in front of China on technology. And, and this was a vote that really represented that uh, in, in billions of dollars. So, you know, when you have a vote, as, as Stephen already pushed out to us, of 68 to 32 uh, in a Senate that is as divided uh, as the Senate is right now, uh, that says a lot. And, and when we were talking about one of the largest spending bills in our history, uh, that says a lot about where we're at uh, in terms of making sure that we're in front of China on this technology issue. Uh, so a, a pretty pretty amazing thing uh, that we got to see. Yeah, I like how you characterized that uh, new Cold War. <laughs> that's, a, that's a hell of a way to put it. Yeah, I think, we'll, I think we will see more uh, of this kind of uh, pushback against uh, the Chinese government um, and, and how much they are in the free market when it comes to um, the goods sold or around the world and, and that we really have to start to be a counterbalance to that. We've been over-reliant on all of their goods for a very long time, but I think the realization of how important the technology side of this is, you know, it's one thing when they're peddling um, pirated DVDs and shitty Nikes, but when you start to think about how important uh, high speed, um, supercomputing, uh, and, and just the, the fact that everything we do nowadays relies on connectedness to a, a high tech sector. We, we have to be the forefront of that. And I think that's, that's just so apparent that we can no longer be reliant on other countries. And I think that's going to continue the, the fight with China around uh, economic issues. So instead of a arms race, it's a, uh, <laughs> 
It's a fiber optic race. Yeah, although let's let's not kid ourselves. That's still an arm race or an arms race in today's world, right? I mean, when you see all of the ransomware uh, attacks happening, when you recognize how effective those were at shutting down whole sectors of our economy, the realization is that if you know a few rogue actors across the globe can do that, what can a nation state actually pull off and how uh, impactful can that be on our everyday uh, lives? And I, I think that's just, we no longer can act as if that is not uh, where the new war is being waged. Well, some could, some actually uh, argue that we're in the midst of a uh, world war three right now with this sort of, uh, these sort of threats and actions uh, that are actually being taken against a sovereign nation uh, sovereign nations and there's you know with the same thing as uh with the cold wars these proxy wars as well with you know things going on in uh with crimea and stuff like that and and just yeah what's involved with with russia as well so th- there's these i think the thing is like we we characterize what world war three would be which is the end of the world uh as we know it because it would be it would be a nuclear holocaust it would be that's it um not to get too off subject and in a nuclear war, I would love to talk about that at some point. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about nuclear war and the, the end of the world. Why not? We're talking about, we were talking about anyway. that though. The other day was, you know, in that situation, like who, who would enter in on the side of who, and that that's gotta be a conversation for, for another day. And, you know, that would be kind of cool, but yeah. So speaking of world war three, how oh, here I go again. Here you go again, Levon. <laughs> Speaking of transition speaking master, of, <laughs> speaking of nuclear war, though, the nuclear option, speaking of nuclear option, we have what is now called ending the filibuster. So let's get into uh, get, get in a little deep with that now. Yeah, I think the the excitement over a bipartisan bill definitely uh, is overshadowed by the reality of gridlock that's really decades long now in Washington and and it's definitely pushing people uh, into this conversation around the filibuster and what if anything should be done uh, in terms of trying to actually accomplish something on the hill right I mean that that's really what the conversation is about is you know we have had decades worth of minority, obstructionism and that's a across the board right i mean democrats uh, have used the filibuster just as effectively uh, as republicans and so i i think we have to recognize that you know the filibuster has been used as a bipartisan tool of the minority party and is that something that we should get rid of uh is an interesting question and i think uh, I'll keep my opinion to myself and and let you go at this one and and then I'll I'll jump in. Sean keeping an opinion to himself. I I for now. I, I think we I, I think we no. Are it'll in a come nuclear, out nuclear situation here. <laughs> Is something going on? Is the emergency broadcast system going on here? <laughs> okay, so yes, ending the filibuster. So I don't want to say too much on on your opinion because I think we do have a similar. Uh, thought on it uh not you know just to preview that for everybody but (laughs) so i think what the thing is why they're you know it's why it's called nuclear option is because it can be disastrous and it's kind of throwing all your cards on the table right and 
the progressive wing has thought, okay, if we put, put all our cards on the table, this is the risk that we're willing to take to get the benefit. So the benefit would be, of course, getting all these things passed and they maybe feel that they could get all this stuff done or they, they could get all this stuff done and get reelected. I don't think that will play out exactly how it's, uh, how it's designed to. Uh, I think that's way too much risk. And then this is coming from somebody who's progressive like me. I think that's just too much of a risk because what if you don't, what, what, what's the next, you know, there's always something, right? There's always a, 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 you know, a nail in the road, so to speak. Right. So what's the next nail in the road and what, what could get mired up in bureaucracy. Right. And that's just the worry that I would have is that they get rid of that, get rid of the filibuster and, you know, Hey, you know, we're able to pass all these things down. That'd be great. That'd be awesome. I'd be all for what they would want to want to be passing. But what if, yeah, what if that, that nuclear option does actually become quite nuclear and then missiles are actually pointed at us and the missiles are in the form of Mitch McConnell having his finger on the button, right? Because <laughs> he's, he's come out and said, you know, what he would do without a filibuster and it is absolute nightmare for progressives. So yeah, that's just my kind of thought on that there. And I'm sure that some of my uh, progressive, uh, uh, you know, friends or whatever will shout shout at me until they're blue but that's just kind of where i am and oof, it could be quite diabolical yeah so the first the first thing that i'll raise uh is a question that i would ask every progressive to ask them themselves in this moment which is when you heard the news that the democrats and the texas legislature walked out to ensure that the destruction of voting rights in Texas didn't happen. How did you feel in that moment? And I think most progressives are going to say that they felt like those Democrats stood up and did what they needed to do to stop really bad legislation from happening. And what I will say is that move was the move of a minority party utilizing their power, what little power they had to ensure that a bad bill didn't pass. And I would argue that the filibuster is one opportunity that a minority party has to hold up bad legislation. Now, is that what it's always used for? Of course not. Is it often used as obstructionism? Of course it is. I get that. But we have to recognize that the filibuster was put in place, one, to make sure that slavery and, uh, you know, all of the aftermath of that uh, was upheld. But it, it also has been historically a place for the minority party to be able to control the agenda uh, in a way that just wouldn't happen if it wasn't there. And, and so I, I think people really have to take a hard look at um, do we want the minority party to have no levers in our government? Uh, because if that's what we want, uh, I'm, I'm pretty concerned about what that will mean uh, moving forward for the Democratic Party as well as the Republican Party uh, in terms of any bipartisan opportunities moving forward. Well, I would have to say the place for that would be something called a parliament, a parliamentary system. And speaking on the civics end of it, right, 
is that like in England is uh, is that the ruling party has absolute rule over over the over legislation over the law over laws and all that, and that's essentially what would happen, right? Is is that, is that what we're saying they'll be you know in power for ten years? Yeah, sure things get done, but man, what a freaking uh, whiplash when the next party comes into into power and then everything gets undone and then it's you know sure things get done, but you know uh, so there's of course you know we could get into parliamentary system there, there could be pluses and minuses to that but that's essentially what you would have and our system of government our system of democracy is not it's just not designed that way it's designed for a slow moving process and it just is that's just the way it's designed yeah and a parliament is not made for a two-party system right parliament or parliamentary systems typically have multi-parties and coalitions and all of those kind of things that that create compromise which if we want to get into that that that's fantastic let's get into a multi-party system where we actually have to have coalitions and compromise to do anything Um, but in a two-party system where the minority party has no ability uh, to slow the process down or even obstruct the process when sometimes it needs to be obstructed um, we would get into uh, the same kind of problems that we're we're now seeing because of obstructionism, which is a system that's really based on executive order. And the world is recognizing you're only as good as this president is in terms of time, right? Like all of the policies of the U.S. are four to eight years. And then the next guy, if it's and, you know, so far it's all been guys, sadly, but the next person is likely going to overturn a bunch of that work um, in our system. And so I think we have to recognize that uh, if we allow the Senate uh, to get into the same kind of behavior, if if all of our legislation is based on the whims of one political cycle, um, we are not going to be a force in the rest of the world when it comes to politics. And that's a really dangerous place to be. The other, the other risk that I think we have to bring up is the idea that progressives have right now that the only way you're going to save democracy is to pass the new Voting Rights Act. And to do that, you're going to get rid of the filibuster. You're counting on the midterms, not swinging the Senate, which history is pretty scary in terms of that thought. And so those rules are going to be in place for how long, right? A year and a half, maybe. Uh, And you're not going to make any impact in the next election cycle by passing that legislation uh, around laws uh, that would impact gerrymandering or any of the things that are actually uh, kind of the root of the Republican power base. Uh, so the risk is just not worth the reward right now. If you had a longer term game and you could count on like you had a larger majority uh, in in the Senate that you thought you could at least hold a 50-50 cut, uh, maybe, maybe you're still you're still treading into really dangerous territory. Uh, but it is just, I mean, recognize that you're going to, you're going to fire the first nuke uh, and likely it's going to come right back at you in the midterms or there's a high likelihood at least. Mutually assured destruction. Exactly. And that's exactly, yeah. And that's exactly what Mitch McConnell has promised. <laughs> so, yeah, not yeah. Just to mention with with the parliamentary system in England and everything is that 
I'm not, I'm not trying to dog on their system at all. Um, in fact, it's great. Like you were saying, there's coalitions, there's, it's a multi-party system, but here it, we're just not set up that way. And, and I would like to have multi-party system. Like you were saying, I'd like to have that. I'd love to have that. But, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just not our, it's just not our, not our reality where we are. <laughs> so. No. And really this, the voting rights act is really the biggest part of this. Right. And I, I think that's something we want to talk about too, is I, I think that is probably the legislation that, that most progressives are pointing to, to say, get rid of the filibuster because we have to pass HR one. Isn't that what they're calling it? Right. Yeah. House resolution one. And, and where I absolutely agree uh, that we we have to make some real structural change uh, to our expectations from a federal perspective around how states um, manage elections in a fair and free way. I I still have real hesitation about um, is this the time uh, to push that legislation through? And that's where where people kind of run to their corners with this as well is that even though we advocate for the same things, we get you know we get shouted at for for our opinions on this matter, and but we're working towards the same things. We want the same things. It's just when we have an opinion about about how we should proceed with that, it just seems like we just get mired in our you know in our shouting matches. <laughs> yeah, and I think the Dems. And, you know, the, the progressive wing of, of the Democratic Party, but the Dems in general, really should take a, a more um, kind of surgical approach to voting rights. One, reinstate the Voting Rights Act that the vast majority of Americans support. We know what it looks like. Uh, it was there for generations um, and, and it worked better than what we've had since its elimination uh, through the Supreme Court. And so uh, getting back to those principles and ensuring that through law, um, which has to come from the legislature, uh, I think is a step forward. And I think uh, that given how much support there is for that that legislation, um, they should really focus in on, on getting that passed. And I think they actually would have an opportunity um, to just push that old legislation back through uh, and cement that into law. So that's the first thing that I, I think uh, instead of going nuclear, uh, look for opportunities to address that. And then I think the Dems need to, to just look at gerrymandering, right? Take one single issue that's sellable and go out and teach people about what gerrymandering is, how it impacts their vote uh, and sell one thing that you might be able to get leverage on uh, with a 50-50 split. Um, but trying trying to get everything in the progressive dream book uh, now is just not the time for it. And we are a really divided country right now. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't build upon uh, what we know works in terms of the Voting Rights Act and getting rid of gerrymandering. There are other issues that need to be addressed. Uh, but let's go one step at a time and stop trying to sell what the conservatives can then turn around and say, you're just trying to stack the deck in your favor, uh, even though the deck has been stacked in their favor for generations. Um, I think 
there's just too much hostility for that to be a winning argument right now. Yeah. And the, the risk is way more than the benefit just is because yeah, that would be, that would be, uh, yeah, it would thwart progress probably for decades. Yeah. Unless it's really an issue that's going to get out everyone, right? Like you're going to have to mobilize a coalition like the Obama coalition uh, to be able to maintain power. And I, I don't know that voting rights is a sexy enough issue to do that. Well, Sean, speaking of sexy, uh, there's nothing sexier than an infrastructure bill, an infrastructure plan for the country. <laughs> there is no doubt that that is some sexy, sexy infrastructure. Let's talk about how sexy it is. <laughs> Let's get into it. Let's talk about infrastructure, baby. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about <laughs> the salt and pepper song. Okay, so infrastructure. Well, let's see here. What what thoughts come to mind, Sean? What, what's uh, what's on your mind about that? Uh, you know, well, this is another issue that comes back to people wanting to push the the filibuster. And again, I I think that we can do better. I think that infrastructure is a bipartisan issue. Uh, polls tell us that I think we, we have to, again, be realistic about what we're doing right now. The, the Biden administration wants a new, new deal, uh, and is kind of leaving behind the green new deal, which I think if you're going to, if you're going to push something, you really should be uh, focused more on green. And I, I get that they're trying to sell this as green, but this is not the green new deal. And I think progressives are, are very aware of that. Um, there should be more focus on, uh, on how do we actually really impact, uh, societal change, uh, if that's what we're going to be looking at doing, uh, in terms of, of a green new deal. Uh, I do think that we have to, to pass some infrastructure, but again, uh, why not go in and get the stuff that we know everybody wants roads, bridges, all of those kind of things. Um, and I think that they just need to to do this through I can't remember the the name of it. What's the the name of the process that they can use in the Senate? But budget re, re, budget reconciliation. Yeah, there we go. So you know why why do we have to get into this whole debate around filibuster? Just do it as uh, the budget reconciliation uh, and be done with it and and go big if that's what you're gonna do, right? Like just go big. The problem is, fucking Joe Manchin or whatever his name is. Yeah, yeah. So there's a yeah, there's that's a whole bunch right there. Uh it's Joe Manchin. You know, yeah. He's he's been Joe Lieberman uh, with with things. Yeah, that's exactly who he is. Yeah, yeah been, absolutely. Yeah. And holding up a lot of that a lot of that progress and honestly I've I've thought about, you know, in a sense just like, well, let's just have let's just primary him then. <laughs> the problem is you you yeah. lose if you put somebody yeah into that yeah, seat that that isn't as moderate as he is or let's just that, call yeah. it what it is as republican as he is right right and that's a scary again a kind of another nuclear option but yeah so but i think that what what strategy sort of worked with him in the past of what uh joe joe biden the biden administration did is they had kamala harris go down uh and go on local circuits and talk about their plans, talk about, this is probably during the COVID, uh, COVID bill back in 
February or something is that she went on on local circuits and was talking about their plan in West Virginia in his districts. So that was an interesting strategy. I, I don't know if that's something that they're they're doing now, or if that that works in this process. I'm not sure, but I, I I'm not against a strategy like that. No, I definitely think putting pressure on him makes a lot of sense, and I I think that uh, this legislation uh, is the opportunity that Dems have to actually go out and make a real impact in people's lives uh, and expand their coalition, which then gives the opportunity to start passing legislation in a way that's meaningful, sustainable, and doesn't have to get to the point of a nuclear option, right? If you start building roads in people's backyard, if you start providing uh, early childhood education, um, to people's grandkids, uh, if you're putting somebody through a junior college, if you're allowing uh, for renewable energy to eliminate pollution in somebody's uh, hometown, those are the kind of things uh, that will build the coalition that will allow us to make more impact on ensuring equity in our voting process, um, not blowing up the the filibuster. It in my opinion, this is the opportunity and they have to get Manchin to understand that if he really wants to make an impact, this is where it happens. Right. So, yeah. So with this episode, if you had some tags on it, you would have, you know, budget reconciliation, you'd have infrastructure, voting rights, sexy, uh, nuclear war and ugh, Joe Manchin. <laughs> not so sexy. Not so sexy. Not so sexy. Well, Got through a lot today. That was uh, good. It was a good policy episode again that we haven't done in a long time. So it was, uh, I think we're finding our groove with what, you know, different uh, uh, categories we have with our shows. So that's, it's cool. We're growing into this. We're growing into this. It's been, you know, we've been doing this six months. So it's like we're finding that stride. So, and I appreciate everybody's listener listening in for these last six months. And if you just joined us, where the hell you been? But thank you for joining us. <laughs> Anyway, Sean, what are you looking forward to over the next week? Uh, let's see. Father's Day's coming up. So hopefully I get some uh, good presents for procreating. You know, I, I put my seed into the world so I get a day to celebrate my seed. Speaking of sexy. And uh, yeah, so good stuff there. I get to go to a, a Sea Wolves game. I'll see you there. My kids are going. Um, so that'll be fun hang out, drink some cider. My my brother's coming into town. I might get to see him. I don't know. We'll see about that. Yeah, there's a lot of good things coming up. Like like you said, Father's Day and Pride Week next week. Yeah. And 4th of July, right after that. God, yeah, freaking June slash July, beginning July, end of June. Good times, good times. And yes, Sea Wolves have a good old time with that, even though they've not had the – Best of seasons. So it's bad. still a good time. So yeah, it's, bad. It's, yeah, yeah. It's that's not fun to fun to watch, but it's fun to fun to be there with with uh, with people again. I think that's that's a big thing being being with our community, people in our community again. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking to actually watch more of the Euros. It's been some interesting games in the European Championship. Uh, yeah, people actually, keeling over dead on yeah, the on the freaking uh, quite literally. Yeah, quite literally. That quite literally. Yeah, crazy. Christian Eriksson. Yeah, it's Christian Eriksson of Denmark just keeling over, cardiac arrest, and being and saved. Amazing, being saved on the field. That yeah, 
crazy. I don't know if they probably should continue that game, but they were probably on tight schedule, which is, you know. Yeah, I, I saw I saw an article. You might actually have sent the article where they were, the coach was talking about, uh, you know, they were given the option and maybe they shouldn't have made the decision to carry on, but in the moment it felt like the right thing. Yeah. And yeah, but crazy think, nonetheless. I mean, somebody keeling over yeah. dead. Anywho. Yeah. I think they're kind of trying to go for like Hollywood movie, you know, Hey, you know, <laughs> but I'm glad he is safe and okay. I'm glad that everybody was alive and life lived that day and, and life won. <laughs> anyway, anything else, Sean? I don't have anything else, man. Well, then that's our cue, isn't it? I Sean can, doesn't have any. I can hear the music starting right about. Yeah, now. the music starting. It's playing me out. It's like the uh, <laughs> the Oscars. Uh, even Steven's kind of giving me this look right now. Like, yeah, wrap it up, dude. <laughs> His voices are slowly fading off. The music's getting louder. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>